All right, guys, welcome back to the Business Shift podcast. Today, we have Oscar Chavez joining us. He is a number one best-selling author, international keynote speaker, and mentor to not only 650 startups, but over 92,000 entrepreneurs worldwide. Oscar is chairman of The Boardroom, uh, a company that has combined experience in over $17 billion in mergers and acquisitions and over $1.2 billion in sales. Oscar has made the shift in his business by working with great people, being diligent when it comes to values and performance standards, as well as relying on strong systems and process. It's a never-ending evolution as an entrepreneur is focused on growth in all areas. So I cannot wait to bring him on. Let's cue that intro video and then let's go. Welcome to The Business Shift, the podcast for online entrepreneurs who are focused on making the shift to business owners. We talk about what it takes to build and grow a thriving digital empire and the transition required as you grow. This is a shift I chose to make in my own business, your client success, and one you'll want to consider making as you grow from solopreneur to business owner. Please share and enjoy. Oscar, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. So good to be here with you, Elena. Yes, I cannot wait to pick your brain um, and just get your insights on everything business. So I want to start with the question I ask everybody, and it's, do you think that there's a difference between being a solopreneur versus being a business owner? And if so, what is that difference? I, I think there's a, there's a monumental difference. And for, for anyone that doesn't think so, then that, that, that is going to cause a lot of challenges within their own business. For me, uh, even even last night, I had someone reach out to me that I've known for a long time. And he said, look, we, we want to exit this business. We want to scale the multiplier. And I want you to come in as a partner in the business and help us scale. My question was, well, what, what's the challenge with the business? What do you think? What, what do you think the core issue is? And he said, you know, we, we really run it like a family business. You know, we're all friendly. You know, we don't like to hold each other accountable and all those kinds of things. So I spoke to one of my advisors last night and I was talking to her. So uh, Sissy Marsh, she's done over 17 billion in, in mergers and acquisitions. Wow. And, and I, I never like to make assumptions. I like to ask questions and I'm constantly learning. And I, I started to ask her, well, what do you think of the differences between, you know, those family types, solopreneur, small businesses and, and larger businesses? And she said, even if you ask the Australian Institute of Family Offices or Family Businesses, the difference is, the, the one difference is corporate governance. So, and that was really powerful to me because when I get into companies, I have a look at what KPIs they're looking at, how they manage this business, how they monitor the business. And it always, for me, it always ties back to KPIs. Yeah. So when she talks about this notion of corporate governance, I go, bang, that's, that's the difference. Because in a family business, how often are we looking at the numbers? How often are we looking at the profitability metrics? How often are we looking at, um, the revenue split between product lines that we have? How often mm. are we looking at the conversion ratio of the marketing campaigns that we've got on? How often are we looking on a dashboard at sales conversion to monitor and track the performance of the sales team? How often are we looking at how much pipeline has been added to the business this week? That doesn't right. happen in a family business. In a family or a solopreneur business, we're shooting from the hip. We're delivering. We're trying to bring on new clients. We're now, you know, delivering for those clients. We're now working on this new marketing campaign. We're now, and we're jumping from thing to thing to thing. And we, and we lack the ability to implement that corporate governance in the business. Now, for me, one of the things that I learned a long time ago is that a business should be three things. So it needs to pass a three-tier classification criteria 
else we can't call it a business. It's just a good idea, right? Mm. And, and those three things are predictability. Can I predict what revenue I'll be doing in three months within a pretty good degree of ac- accuracy? Oh, nice. The, the, the next one is uh, sustainability. How su- is that business sustainable in 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years? If the business yeah. owner were to pass away tomorrow, would that business still continue with its system structure and people that it's got in place? Yeah. Um, and, and the last uh, part of it is, is repeatability. How repeatable are the processes within the business so that I know that this month I generated 30 leads, 100 leads, whatever it might be, 500 leads in some companies. The next month I'm going to do the same. The next month after that I'm going to do the same. And how repeatable is that business? So when I look at a business and I go, what are we trying to achieve here? I usually run it through those three metrics and say, is this a real business? And the answer is typically no. Okay, what under those umbrella of three things do we need to do in order to turn it into a real business? So that's a long way of me saying, yes, a 100% a a business owner is a completely different human being to what a solopreneur is, definitely. Yes. Okay. I love that you broke it down with those three metrics to base a business on. I think that that's brilliant, very tactical. And that's something that businesses can work towards that don't have that in place. So that's great. Um, I would love to know your thoughts on how does somebody who is stuck in that day-to-day delivery of things in their business, and they're trying to get to that next level, how do they make the time, find the time, and also have a process to grow out of that? Because if you're the one as the business owner doing the things, how do you then make it to that next level while making sure that you're not just running by the hip? Yeah, in, 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 in a number of my workshops, I teach the, what we call the law of time. And the law of time is that work will occupy 100% of the space you allow it to. So if you're an individual that says, you know, I just got, I've got to work 18 hours a day, you know, 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., whatever it is, um, then work will c- continue to occupy that space within your own life. So as, as a business owner, we need to make the shift for what do we really want to prioritize here? Are we going to, what, what, what are, what's our value system in terms of this business? Do we really, do we truly, truly, truly value having a business or do we truly value maybe the, the perceived freedom that you might have as a solopreneur because you, you, you know, you're under the pump and I, I love to talk about uh, Plato's cave allegory, right? Have you heard Ooh, of? Oh, I have right? read that many times. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, just for, for those that are watching that haven't really read it, the, the whole premise is that there's someone stuck in a dark cave for, let's say, a long period of time and they never see light. Um, a human being is quite resilient and will, will um, accept the fact that that is their new reality and they'll live amongst that reality. And then all of a sudden the door opens of the cave and there's a shining light outside. Now, the human condition has a propensity for us to want to stay in comfort and stay in the darkness than walk out into the light. And so for solopreneurs that, that are thinking, you know, I want to make the shift to, to being a business owner, the first thing we have to understand is it's going to be really uncomfortable. There's going to be a whole set of new skills that you have to pick up and develop, a whole set of new disciplines, a whole set of new belief systems that we have to adopt in order to make that transition into the light, let's say, where we can have a real business that is, um, you know, that's sustainable, predictable and repeatable. 
Yeah. I was even reading some statistics last night that say that only 5% of business owners are happy with the valuation multiplier that they get in their business. Meaning a lot of these businesses at retirement time, when they say, you know what, I'm pretty tired now. I've been doing this for a long time. This is hard. You know, this is eaten into my personal life. Yes, I have cash, but cash isn't the, the thing that makes human beings happy. Like we, we, we're not yeah. happy from cash, right? That, that all of a sudden they need to think about exiting that business and selling it because it's, it's, it's too much for them. And they don't get enough money for retirement and they haven't been putting money into their superannuation or 401k as it's called in America. Um, and, and they haven't prepared for that eventual uh, exit that they, that they want to have in a certain amount of time. And let's say, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. And they don't get the value of the business that they thought they would get. They're being undervalued by the market. Why? Because sophisticated investors look at those things. Is it predictable? Can I trust this business to continue to generate revenue? Is that revenue long-term? And one of my mentors, and I said, yeah, it's long-term revenue. It's 12 months revenue in this business. She was like, that's not, that's not long-term revenue. That's short-term revenue. So we've got to be thinking in how to, <laughs> yeah, how do we do three-year contracts? How do we do five-year contracts? How do we really beef up that predictability of that business and that sustainability of the business so that we can get an exit multiplier that's three to four times um, if you're a professional services business, if you've got some level of IP in a platform, then maybe you might get a 10x multiplier. And if you're really good and you have all those things and you have really good corporate logos, you've got really strong revenue, you've got international expansion, you've got consistently growing revenue and really strong revenue, you've got strong profitability, you've got strong culture within that business. Let's say you have those six things and you can get up to 100 times multiplier um, like one of the case studies I always talk about with Liars Beer, that's L-Y-R-E-S. It's a non-alcoholic beer company that within two years, they 100x their multiplier because of the way they built their business. Yeah. So when you're a solopreneur, you're not thinking about exit. You're not thinking about uh, company valuation. You're not thinking about predictability, sustainability, and repeatability. Um, and, and you kind of just go about the day to day. When you're a business owner, you spend a lot more time thinking about those things. And business owners, I believe, need to be paid to think and need to be paid to think so that they can get the people to do the work. Now, society these days glorifies the doers, right? Because they, they're yeah. the ones that get stuff done. But you know what? The, the investor that, that pays the money because they've thought about the strategy, they've vetted the, the, the company, they've vetted the people within that company. They're right. the ones that drive the highest value in business and they're the ones that make the most money. Even, right. if, you look at, <clears throat> even if you look at banks, for instance, the CEO of that bank, will make 0.001 of the revenue that they've produced for that business. They might have a pay packet of, you know, three to five to $10 million per year, but they've generated billions of dollars of profit. That's yeah. the difference between the doer, less valuable than the thinker, highly valuable, that drives multiplication value and drives revenue within a business. So th there are a few examples. Oh, okay. I love everything that you're talking about here. So how does somebody, what would be some of those first steps that a solopreneur would take? They've decided that they want to go on the route of becoming a business owner, um, making sure that their systems and everything are predictable um, and that they're sustainable. What would be those first couple of action items they should take in order to start to make that transition? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with three action items. And if, if I can think of a fourth one while I'm talking, I'll give you that one as well. <laughs> okay, cool. But, but one of the things that, that I'm always evangelizing is, is the art of cloning yourself in business. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the cloning process is 
truly deeply understand your strengths and weaknesses as, as a human being. Yeah. And there's multiple free personality assessments you can do online. I would, I would get you to do all of them, right? Get, do all of the personality studies and figure out what are your strengths and weaknesses so that you've got a conscious awareness of the activity in your business that gives you energy yeah. versus the activity in your business that drives energy away. Let me give you a, a brief example. If a lot of, a lot of um, CEOs have ex-accounting backgrounds, right? CFO yeah. type of roles. CFOs have a propensity to like things over people. They're the two yeah. categories of, of, you know, of personality uh, development. It's either like things or you like people. A yeah. CFO is not going to want to go out and network and go to conferences and put roundtables together and take clients out to drinks and do all those kinds of things. So right. for that CFO that's moved into a CEO position, for that person to think oh, I've got to be a business owner that does all those things because that's the mold of a business owner is going to get burnout pretty quickly. They're going to zap their energy. They're not going to be productive and they're not going to love what they're doing. And yeah. therefore the business is going to decline. Yeah. Versus a CEO that thinks that hates accounting, hates numbers and all those kinds of things and goes, you know, to be a good CEO, I'm just going to be in front of numbers all day. That's all, that's all I want to do. They're going to get burnout. They're not going to love what they do. They're going to want to look for a change pretty quickly. So the first step in, in kind of cloning yourself is really understanding those strengths and weaknesses and identifying. And when I say identify, it means write them down. Mm -hmm. The things that you just love doing and the things that at the end of the day would give you more energy than, than when you started the day. The things that you, like for me, I could do this all day and I would be fine at the end of the day. I would still have a lot of energy uh, yeah. because I, I love speaking and teaching, right? So once we've identified the strengths and weaknesses, we go, okay, we're going we're gonna to double down on these strengths and we're going to leave them in a little box for a moment. We'll come back to these things. And then we pick up the box of things that we don't like doing. Mm -hmm. The second thing that, that I would do is this, this notion of if you don't have an executive assistant, you are the executive assistant. And the notion of your income will be in direct proportion to the value that you add to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So if you're spending 30 to 40% of your time on administrative activity that you could have someone else do, that's lowering the value of your time, therefore lowering the value of your income. So I would be hiring an executive assistant. Sorry, that's probably step three. Step three would be hire that, hire that assistant. Yeah. Step two would be let's start to systematize all the things that I don't like doing. So for instance, let's say you have to do payroll once a week. Right. You would you would create a document that says, okay, to, to run payroll, you've got to do these steps. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. You would create a video recording of you got like a loom, for instance, of how you physically do that in the real world. You know, you really build the process around this. Um, if you've got concerns around, um, you know, I, I'm the only person that touches money, create some sort of level of two-factor authentication or some yeah. level of uh, payment approval so that someone loads all the payments in the systems and you have to physically go in and approve each one. But I'm, I'm huge on being hyper-focused on what are the things that are taking me 15 minutes and how do I turn them into things that take me 30 seconds to one minute? How yeah. do I take the things that take me an hour to make them take me five minutes? How do I take the things that take me three to four hours and turn them into things that take me, you know, five minutes? Right. So it's really about distilling down those processes and becoming and, and figuring out a way to become productive at those processes. So that would be step two. Then step three would be to hire that virtual assistant, give them really strong processes for them, for them to follow. And I think with, with, 
and let me let me go step four. Step four would then be to pick up that box of things that um, that you really love doing and that energize you, and implement some sort of, uh, of corporate governance over the top of those things. So let's say yeah. you, you you love sales. Okay, let's let's wrap some corporate governance over that. How many leads did we produce um, yeah. that that week? How many sales calls did we have that week? How many proposals went out the door that week? How many people gave you a verbal commitment that week? How many people signed a contract that week? How much? Revenue did that produce per week? How many new clients right. in total do we have um, as a business? And you start to flesh out all of these kind of corporate governancey type of things over the top of the things that you love. And yeah, yeah. Look, you might not love them as much once you're actually being held accountable. Um, but if you can be accountable to your own success, meaning you're going to come out of that cave and walk out into the light and you, you're going to track your progress. Maybe the first day you come out for a minute, maybe the second day it's two minutes till you get to 10 minutes, right? But it's, it, it's about those gradual shifts to being able to stand in the light or stand in the goals that you want as a, as a business owner so that you can truly, you know, live the life that you want rather than, you know, a solopreneur that's kind of, you know, buried under the workload. So they're, right. they're the four things that I would kind of advise business owners do to make that shift. Oh, that is amazing. Super tactical. So did you, did you start your business as a solopreneur or did you kind of move straight into that business, that business owner role? What did that, that journey look like for you? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. Cause I, I would say I've never been a solopreneur. I've always yeah. brought people on the journey, like always, you know, in, yeah. in my first business, I started an Uber competitor, um, before Uber was a, yeah, before Uber was, was really popular. Um, right. And we, we we brought systems administrators, we brought on two app developers, and we brought on kind of a CTO to help me run that business. So every every business that we've that, that I've ever established, I've always had a founding team. Um, it's not always been the right founding team, mind you, but I've just I've had people on the journey with me to help me scale that business. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, there was there was elements of solopreneurship um, that I would have because I would, you know, I would do the sales calls and I'd do the strategy and right. I'd roll out the marketing campaigns until I really found a way to, you know, to build a team around me that could do those things. Yeah. Yeah. And so why did you decide to be in business and have that be something that is your thing? Like, why did you decide to start your business? Hmm, that's a really good question. I th I think you know I was I was really successful in the corporate world. Like yeah. I was I was earning a lot of money and and I had a lot of spare cash. And I thought you know I really want to be able to accelerate my own earnings as a yeah. as a person. Plus I, I kind of wanted to be my own boss, right? I didn't right. really, you know, sometimes in 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 the corporate world things can change. You know, within an instant, someone leaves yeah. and someone new comes in, and you don't like that person. You have conflict and. You're just up to the the you know you enter into this system which you have no control over. You know you 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 know you go to go to school, get an education, go to work, pay your taxes, and retire at sixty five. I kind of I didn't like that. Um, I didn't like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I've always been like I bought real estate young. So the the book that changed my life was Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. And it's just, you know what, Elena, it just, it just completely changed my mindset. And I realized that other people around me didn't have that mindset. So it was, yep. it was my own kind of hero's journey slash call to adventure. Yeah. Um, but I just had to try this thing about business. And I mean, you know, people that have started or, or are on their journey, 
I, I truly believe that running a business is probably one of the hardest things you could possibly do as a human being. Like it is really tough. Yeah. Like it, it is punishment. And I've even trained other leaders and said, you know what, to me, the best leader is the person that can take the most punishment. You know, mm. it's the person that can just deal with more problems and find creative ways and manage their own mindset and not get down into negativity. And you've got to stay positive oh, all the time. So true. You know, when, when you're working for someone else, you can, you can kind of hide in the numbers potentially. Um, you can kind of check out emotionally or you can check out of life. You, you can't do that as a business owner because the numbers will, will hit immediately. So right. there's some of the initial inspirations for starting a business. Yeah. So what do you do? What is your main focus now with your business? Um, because I, I don't think I have super big clarity in terms of like what it is that you do. Yeah. So the, there's two things predominantly. One is is continuing to do mergers and acquisitions. So yeah, you know, we, we talk about strategic growth because organic growth is all the things that we've we've probably talked about in this episode, even or yeah. most of the things that solopreneurs do, which is you know, corporate governance, sales and marketing, all the things that people could think of um, to grow a business. That, that's, that's what we call organic growth, right. which, is, which is slow growth. Um, strategic growth is where you go out and you buy companies. You know, you buy a 10-year history with another company, you roll it into your company, and now you've mm -hmm. doubled the business within like six months, right? Mm -hmm. um, or you, you've got a business that has good predictability, consistency, and repeatability. We know it's a real business. We know it's a great idea. We know it's serving a huge need. We know that the clients are happy. We know that there's demand for that product, but you know that an extra 10 million bucks could help you grow it a lot faster. And right. so we'll, we'll go out and find that 10 million bucks. We'll you know put together pitch decks and presentations, due diligence rooms, yeah. um, all these kinds of things. And we'll take it to investors. We've got a, a thousand investors on our books that have invested in deals with us. Yeah. Um, so they trust us to bring them really good deals. Yeah. And then we, we work on things like strategic growth, which is how do you have explosive growth where you're tripling, 10xing, 50xing your business in a very short amount of time? Not for the faint of heart. It's, it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what strategic growth is all about. And it takes a certain type of person to want to walk that level of pain. Um, yeah. but, but there are people that have, you know, really huge goals. They've got a really huge mission. Um, they're, the, they're the people that we typically work with. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing is um, just, you know, I, I run a lot of sales teams, uh, implementing sales governance, sales enablement, those types of things, um, sales training. Um, so I, I walk very tightly in the realm of, you know, enterprise sales doing, you yeah. know, 10, you know, five to 10, even like a million dollar, $5 million, $10 million deals. Yeah. That's kind of the, the stuff that I work on as well. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. So talking about teams um, in terms of uh, just managing a team, I know that that's a, a really big shift that solopreneurs feel resistance to is going, oh, like I have to hire. They have that natural want to control things. And so what has been the biggest thing that you've learned from running a team? I like, let me, let me tell you a story that John, uh, John Rankin's a good, um, a good friend of mine, he's on our board, told, told me this story, which I have I, I had to tell everywhere if I can. Um, let, me, let me explain to you exactly what running a team is like. Let me just pull it out. <laughs> oh, yes. I can't wait. <laughs> it's, it's a great story. Um, and credit to John Rankins who put me onto this. Okay. So this is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody could do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. 
somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. So that, that, that story is kind of confusing. But when You're you like put, trying to follow it, but then you listen to what it's actually saying. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is the thing about running teams, right? You, you can't just throw teams together and pat them on the back and go, good luck to you. We have to have accountability in place and, yeah. and, and accountability for performance. This is one of the huge things that separates your, your family-run businesses or solopreneurs to actual business owners. F- Family-type businesses, small businesses, don't hold each other accountable. You know, yeah. if, if, you know if, if marketing didn't perform this week, you know, it's all right. We'll try something new next week. Well, right. in, a, in a corporation or where there's corporate governance, if you don't hit the KPIs, you're out the door. We're looking for the yeah. next person that can actually, you know, meet, meet the job criteria, right? Right. So when it comes to leading people, we need some level of accountability in place. I can't tell you how many times, Elena, I've gone in to uh, turn the performance of a business around. And one of the first things I'll do is start to intend the, attend the internal meetings as a, as a fly on the wall. Yeah. And I'll hear, you know, just kind of random complaints about things and how people's weekends were, which is all good stuff because you've got to build culture, right? But don't get me wrong. But the whole meeting is just nothing's happening. Nobody's telling each other their priorities. Yeah. nobody's holding each other for the priorities that they that they promised that they would do last week because nobody's yeah. talking about those things and nobody's holding each other accountable and the business will literally go down the drain if there's no good level of accountability in place so yeah. for, for people that are looking at you know hiring additional people how do we wrap some some kpis and some governance control around yeah. the, what your expectations are of that individual you know inspect what we expect um, we've got to, I'll say that again, we've got to inspect what we expect. And that's mm. the best way to start driving teams because to be honest, people want to be high performance. I, I believe that in inside each human being, there's this innate need to be, to be valued. Right. And to be good at, at what you do, right? Every yeah. human being has that within them. Um, yeah. Some people, you might need to tease them out a little bit more than others, but I believe that every human being wants to contribute some part to society or some part to some team. Right. And the best way to do that is to, you know, on a weekly basis, get together, talk about priorities, hold, you know, write those priorities down, hold yeah. people accountable, make them accountable for their own performance, because otherwise that story will take place and nobody will do what anybody could have. Right. Oh, that, that, thank you for sharing that story. So good. Um, very good perspective. Um, I guess my last question that I would love to ask you, um, before we finish up is what has been the most important systems you've implemented in your business in order to really have it run without the business owner? That's a, that's a difficult question. Cause I think every, every system is just so important. Yeah. So for me, it would be it would be a system of systems, um, mm. and and how do you, you know, take data from each of those systems and roll them up into a dashboard, yeah. so that we can we can see how the business is performing on a on a regular basis. So for me, it would be the, the systems of systems. It's really important. So some yeah. people build systems in their business, but they don't build the system to manage the systems. Right. Right. Um, the the other system is the the people that govern 
that you know that governance framework and how they actually do that together yeah. i think that that's really important because for me a system is a combination of process and people yeah so having having that system in place but then you know more at a tactical level which is probably the first answer i should have given it it's really sales and marketing system so we developed this um we developed this methodology we call mar sales and we certify people on this methodology and it's a it's a combination of the the disciplines and the skills you need from a marketing and sales perspective because right. marketing is normally out in its own world and sales normally out in its own world. We don't yeah. even speak the same language when it comes to sales and marketing. Right. So we, we developed this kind of integration fabric through language um, we call Mars sales. And we implemented these, you know, all around the world, we we're implementing these Mars sales trackers, which is a KPI dashboard for both the sales and the marketing department so that they're both accountable for the number rather mm. than, because what you get in organizations normally is marketing goes, oh yeah, these leads are great. The salespeople suck. Um, and then you have the salespeople going, oh, these leads are crap. No, you know, th these aren't even real leads, right? Right. And you have this kind of bickering all the time within, within you know, even large organizations that we've turned around. So <clears throat> we uh, implemented this system to have common governance across both of those functions yeah. and, and mutual accountability for the numbers. So yeah. if the sales guy thinks those leads are crap, the marketing person's going to be on the call and they're gonna, we're, we're going to start to you know, hold that marketing person accountable. Yeah. Whereas if the marketing person says, hey, you know what, actually one of our team called that lead and they were interested, you just haven't followed up, then it's a slap on the wrist for the sales team, right? So right. for me, the, the most powerful system apart from the system of systems and the, and the system that we leverage to have the people manage the systems is the actual governance across both sales and marketing so we can keep a, a, you know, a, 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 um, a pulse on the growth of the organization. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So before I let you go, um, I know you have a framework that you help people with called the run without you framework. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, well, I've, I've worked with a lot of businesses, Elena, and, and let me, let me be transparent that not all those businesses have been successful. Yeah. Um, and, and I believe that, that one of the biggest contributors to the ones that are successful and the ones that are not successful is, is five systems. And, and those systems were built on some research that we did on 92,000 entrepreneurs. Yeah. So we went out to our 92,000 entrepreneurs and we said, what are the three things that you're struggling most with in your business? And they said, we struggle with strategy, we struggle with sales, and we struggle managing profit. So I started going out and teaching those three systems to people and they were still not generating the level of success that I needed them to generate for me to feel successful at my role. Right. And so I added two things on the, on the end of those things. One was um, identity. So yeah. what is the identity of the business owner? What are the goals? What are the objectives? Who do we think we are? Yeah. Um, and, and what are we willing to sacrifice to actually achieve those goals? And then on the last, so we got I, S, S, P, and then M, which is the management side. How do we actually manage and govern an organization? So they're the, they're the five systems that I believe every single business owner needs to make that pivot from solopreneurship to, to business. So yeah. it's a, a system for managing your own identity, a system for managing your strategy, a system for manage, managing your sales and marketing, yeah. a system for managing your profit, and a system for managing your management. And yeah. those five systems, I truly believe, are the things that can um, help a business owner actually be a real business owner and run a real business with a really good valuation multiplier. Wow. Man, this has been so incredibly valuable. Where can people connect with you, find you if they want to hear more from you? Where can they go? 
Um, they can go to my website, so it's oscar-chavez.com, um, or they can go to, I forget what my Insta handle is. I think it's at, at the Oscar Chavez. Yeah, I think it's at the Oscar Chavez. Um, or I'm on Facebook at forward slash Oscar Chavez Entrepreneur. And you probably noticed that I said my last name four different times then. <laughs> so anyway. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Anything else you want to add before we finish up? Um, I guess I would love to just add one, one small thing that I've been teaching around the world. And, you know, when I do full day workshops, I ask people, what was the most impactful thing of this workshop? And they always refer back to um, this methodology I built called the Baho method. Mm. So let me, let me quickly dissect what this is. So I've, I've read over a hundred books and I've really been thirsty for all the knowledge of people that have been successful before me. And I, I broke down this framework called the Baho method and it's yeah. a reverse engineering method for, to figure out anything you want in life. So let, let, me, explain, let me explain it backwards because it's a reverse engineering formula. So it's B-A-H-O. O stands for outcome. So let's look at any outcome we have in our life, whether it's you know, a bank balance, a broken down marriage, a kid that has you know, gone astray and you know, whatever it is. O stands for outcome. H stands for habit. So what are the habits that have contributed to those outcomes? There's always some habitual flavor and everybody talks about high performance habits, but this is so much deeper than that. Right. Um, what are those habitual actions that have taken place to drive those outcomes? A stands for actions. What are the actions that have created those habits that create those outcomes? So mm -hmm. an action sustained becomes a habit. And then B stands for belief. What are the beliefs that we have that underpin those actions that create those habits, that create those outcomes in life. Yeah. So if we want to change our outcome in life, we have to go straight to the root, which is the belief. What belief systems do we have about the world, about the government, about our, our friendships with one another, about the role that I play in this world, about my own goals and, and objectives in life, about the things that really cause me, you know, drive fulfillment within my own life and give me passion and purpose in life. Like we really have to get good at identifying what our beliefs are in life because human beings have a tendency to not think before we believe. We get told a certain thing and we just believe it because we heard six or seven people talk about it and we go, okay, that's what we believe. You know, yeah. we walk into some church and everybody believes the same thing and you go, okay, I, be I believe in that religion now and I'm going to walk <laughs> my life in that religion. Yeah. Human beings don't think about things generally before they land into certain belief systems. So yeah. for me, belief is the thing that will drive Act, you know, actions, habits, and outcomes in life. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a God-fearing Christian, you know, I'm going to go to church every Sunday or I might call yeah. myself a Christian and not go to church, right? But it's those beliefs that are going to create those actions, which creates those habits, which creates those outcomes in life. So if anyone's mm -hmm. watching this and going, and going, you know what, I'm not happy with a certain outcome in my life, like get in a dark room, have a, have a, have a conversation with yourself and really start to understand what's inside your heart yeah. That will generally come with some level of fear and um, some sort of uncertainty or maybe some sort yeah. of hurt that we're carrying from childhood trauma or some sort of, you know, belief system that's holding us back that we might feel that we're, we're not good enough. But these things have to be worked through if we want to be successful business owners, because yeah. otherwise we're going to be reacting to things rather than proacting to things and being proactive with our lives. So yeah. I'd love to leave your audience with those thoughts. 
Oh, I'm so glad that you added that to the end. It's that was amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time, for your insight. I truly appreciate it. Um, and let's go ahead and cue the outro again. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Business Shift, where we chat about no-nonsense insights and strategies to help you transform your online business into a successful empire. If you or someone you know is an online business owner and are looking to increase the retention and ascension of their programs and outsource their fulfillment, I would love to connect. You can connect with us at yourclientsuccess.com. Until next time, keep shifting your business towards success.